we are continuing a series called Culture Shift. Last week we kicked it off in part one. If you missed it, go to oscconnect.com. Make sure to go listen to uh, our, our message here or the one that was in Eunice. We, we kicked off, or we're in the book of Daniel. Now the book of Daniel is in the OT. That's, that's old school, okay? So it's in the Old Testament uh, in the major prophets between Ezekiel and Lamentations and all that. So let's do this. While we're talking about this, why don't you go ahead in your Bibles and turn to Daniel right now because we're gonna go to Daniel chapter three in just a little bit, but let me do a, a, just a real quick recap of what last week was about, why we are in Daniel, and then we're going to dive right into this next, uh, this next message. And so this is where we're at. Daniel chapter one, we catch up with a, with, a, with a couple guys, actually four guys, a guy named Daniel and a bunch of his buddies. They're about 15, 16 years old. They were Jerusalem high school hanging out, love Jesus. The Bible says that they're good-looking guys, uh, that they're smart, that they're intelligent. They got everything going for them. All of life is great and grand until the Babylonian army shows up. The Babylonian army shows up, takes over the city, and selects a hand group of these good-looking, very smart, intelligent young guys to come and to serve the wicked king, King Nebuchadnezzar. So one day they're just chilling out at the church. They see some dust clouds. Some, the, these Babylonian armies roll in. They, they just straight up mug these guys, take them hostage, and bring them to Babylon. They wake up, and they're in this, a whole nother culture with a whole new language. Everything is crazy. They're, they left their parents behind. They don't know who, their, their parents aren't with them. And so all it is is these four group of guys with a group of other young Jewish boys that are there. And their whole job, according to King Nebuchadnezzar, is he put, him, put these guys under one of his chief of staff guys to give them a three-year full-ride scholarship to Babylon University. And the whole mission was for the next three years that Babylon University would take out all of their Jewish moral values and implant into them all of the Babylonian culture and language and laws and, and values. And so these guys love Jesus and the next day they wake up into a culture that is absolutely wicked. They hate God. They have a lot of other gods except for the true God. And here they are going to a university where they want nothing to do with God. They want to teach you everything that's secular. And that's where these guys are. We also believe that these guys also became eunuchs. Now, last week I got myself in trouble because I said a word about how the guys had, could no longer make kids. And we had some little kids in here, and they just said thank you because I had to explain this word to my, my child. And so, um, so anyways, they could no longer have children, and, uh, and so it's a rough day. It's a rough day for them. And here they are, they're in this school to get trained and equipped, and uh, Daniel, though, and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are fantastic examples of how a Christian is to thrive in a culture that doesn't honor God. Now, let's pause here for a minute, and I want you to kind of tune in, because does that not sound very familiar? Anybody notices what's going on in 2014? We have cultures that are totally different than the moral culture that was really our nation was founded on. Our nation was founded on God. 
A lot of our universities were founded on God. A lot of our hospitals were founded on God. And now here we are, 2014, and there's a culture shift that's taking place. And our culture no longer wants to honor God. They want to distance themselves from God because they think that God and his values are, are outdated and antiquated. And that's just old thinking. And so we got a new way of thinking. We think this is the way that it should be done. And so we got a new culture. Even definitions of words have different meanings now than they did 10 to 15 years ago. There's just things that are happening now where culture is progressively getting further and further away from God. So here's the question. This is the, really the premise behind the whole series. How do we as Christians, if you are a Christian, if you're not, welcome, but how do we as Christians thrive in a place that doesn't honor God? How do you thrive in a business where every employee and your boss hate God? How do you thrive at a school where you're ridiculed for knowing God and even going to church or maybe having values? Or what do we do as a people who are trying to hold on to, the, to the, our moral values of the truth of God's word, but yet God has put us in a place where there is values that are just crazy? Um, how do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to answer that question. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, we're going to look in, uh, in starting in verse 1. But uh, let me just real quick tell you what happened in Daniel chapter 2. And I'll just give you the real quick just synopsis of what happened in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 1, uh, they say we're not going to eat of that food. The, boys, the guys say we're not going to eat of that food. Test us for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they look better than the, than the other guys. And so the king of Nebuchadnezzar was in awe of that. In Daniel chapter 2, though, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had a, had a bad dream. And he wakes up and he, from this bad dream, and he gets all of his sorcerers and astrologers and everything. There's hundreds of them. He says, I need to meet with you. And so they come and they meet with him. And he says, listen, I have a dream. Tell me what it is and explain it to me. And so they go, well, you want to, like, you want to, like, help us out? Like, Tell us a little bit of what it's like. He said, no, you tell me the dream I had and then explain it to me. And so they're like, you know, that 1-900 psychic hotline, like, give me something here. I need to work with something. And, and, God, and, and so King Nebuchadnezzar says this, kill them all. <laughs> okay. And so Daniel's one of those guys, though. And so Daniel stands up and says, hey, hold on, hold on. Before, before we get the death sentence, can I go pray to my God and see if I can get the answer. King Nebuchadnezzar says, sure, go ahead. The Bible says that Daniel goes and he prays, and that night while, while he's sleeping, God tells him exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar's dream was with all specifics and explains it to him of what it actually means. And so the next day, Daniel comes into the court and he goes, I got it, I got it. This is what happened. Okay, you had this crazy dream. Yeah, it was crazy. It wasn't pizza, okay? It was God. How many of you know there's three types of dreams? There's a pizza dream, like you ate too late, and it's like crazy. Then you got like those conscious dreams where like you're still working and you're still working in your dream. Y'all ever had that? You ever had that before? One time I had to fire somebody here at church and I was wrestling with it all week. And I woke up, this is, you can ask my wife. In the middle of the night, I woke up and I said, you're fired. And my wife goes, what are you talking about? You're firing me? And I said, no. and I went back to sleep and I didn't even know I did it until the next morning. She said, you got up and you fired me. I said, I said you're rehired. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, it wasn't one of those dreams either. This was a God-given dream. The Bible talks about how God gives us dreams. So God gave this dream. It's crazy how God spoke to a wicked king. 
Anyway, it's a lot of great stuff in there. But anyways, he speaks to him, speaks to Daniel, shows him what it is. Daniel shows up and says, hey, none of these other guys who, like, you trained in Babylon University that I went through said that they could do all this. They can't do all this. My God can. And so my God's going to tell you what exactly is going to happen. So this is what happens. So you have this God, you have this statue, and there's, like, gold and bronze and silver. And he, he starts explaining in detail what this what the dream actually was. And then he goes and explains like, you're the head. And then he explains all these different kingdoms that are going to come and your kingdom's going to get crushed. And it's a crazy, crazy story you can read in chapter two. But in the end of it, it really is King Nebuchadnezzar's just in awe and kills all his other guys, keeps Daniel. So you would think after that, King Nebuchadnezzar goes, I'm going to keep this guy close. This guy knows what he's doing. Now we catch up in chapter 3. Look with me in chapter 3. In chapter 3, you're going to find out King Nebuchadnezzar was in awe of what Daniel did, but he wasn't changed. Because in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to see what happens. So Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 4. It says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and whose breadth was 60 cubits, meaning 90 feet. 90 feet tall, 90 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, and the justice, and the magistrate, and all of the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of this image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then the satraps and the prefects and, yeah, all those other guys. They all gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So what we have going on here is Nebuchadnezzar builds a 90-foot statue. And most scholars believe that it's a 90-foot statue of himself. Come on, talk about some pride. (laughs) Imagine that up in Jennings. 90-foot statue. Here's the thing. He says in this verse that he builds a 90-foot statue, and then he commands everybody, everybody. Guys, listen, I'm going to set this statue up, and then guess what? You're going to come, and you're going to worship it. Now, listen to me, because this is really important. Because even though we're in Daniel, which is 600 years before Jesus... I want you to know that we can still learn so much about it in our practical day and age right now because there's coming a day, and I believe it's already here, where you're going to be commanded to worship something that is totally against what you believe. I'll show you in just a little bit. Let's read in verse 5. All right, let's look at verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud. Listen to this. You are what? Commanded. Commanded. He's telling you, will worship this. You're commanded to. You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and language, that when you hear the sound of the horn and pipe and lyre and tri- I don't know what a trigon is, but if you, if you hear it, you need, to, you need to do something. A harp and a bagpipe and every kind of music, you are to fall down, and this is what you're going to do. You're going to worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And this is what's going to happen. If you don't worship him... Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, I want you to notice something. The motivation for worship is fear. Now, here's the deal. For us as Christians, our motivation for worship is love. We love God. We worship God. The enemies, because our enemy can't get you to worship him, so the way he gets you to worship him is to fear him. So the way you worship him is he puts fear. You're not going to worship? We'll kill you. 
No problem. And the first goal of the enemy is that you're going to be forced to worship something that you don't believe in. And I'm going to tell you this. There's going to be consequences to that. So here's the question. What do we do? What do we do when your boss says, you're going to do this, and it's totally against everything on the inside of you? And if you don't, you could be fired. What do you do? These three guys had that same, same opportunity. You're going to bow before this, and if you don't, we'll throw you in the furnace. Now, I want to show you something because this is the first story, but I want us to look at a second story, and both of these are very, probably the most common stories in Daniel, but go to Daniel chapter 6, and I want us to look at a second story. In Daniel chapter 6, let me just set it up. King Nebuchadnezzar Right to the east of Babylon, which is current Iraq, right to the east of it, there was the Persians and the Medes. And between Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 6, what happens is King Nebuchadnezzar gets overthrown by King Darius. Now in Daniel chapter 6, King Darius is now king. Now here's the thing about King Darius. King Darius loves Daniel. He really does. King Nebuchadnezzar didn't like anybody. King Darius loved Daniel. He loved him. And the people, though, here's the crazy thing, the people who worked for King Darius did not like Daniel because they were jealous of the relationship that he had with King Darius. So they decide, we're going to devise a way to get this guy out. So they plot and scheme on how they're going to take Daniel out. So Daniel chapter 6, let's go and read starting in verse 5. Now watch this, starting in verse 5. Then these men, the jealous guys... They say this, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel. So this is what they say. Okay, guys, how can we do this? How can we get this guy out? Dude, he's he's clean. Been following politics right now? It's dirty. This guy has nothing on him. There's no dirt. He's a clean dude. And so they go, okay, we can't go after him because he's clean. Like, he didn't do anything wrong. He's, he's got, everything is great about him. So what do we go after? Watch this. <clears throat> Unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So guess what they do? They don't go after Daniel. They go after his religion. Sound familiar? If I can't go after you, I'll discredit the fact that you believe in a God that probably really doesn't exist. And if I can discredit that, I discredit you. And so that's what they do. So look at verse 6 now. In verse 6, Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. They're just kissing up to the king. And all the presidents of the kingdom and the, and the, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed. And the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever, watch this, whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, will be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And watch what happens. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. See, because here's this, I want you all to see the parallel between the two stories. So in the story of the fiery furnace, the story of the lion's den, story of the fiery furnace, they said, you have to worship this. In the story of the lion's den, they say, you cannot worship this. Y'all see the two? One is commanding you, you got to worship. 
another God. One's commanding you, you can't worship your God. Now, I'm just telling you, this is happening right now in 2014 with all of us. It's a, this is why the title of this message is called The War Over Worship. It's the war over worship. Because I want to tell you, if you look in both of these stories, there is an attack on worship. That's what it's over. And I want to I back up here because I've, I've got to set this up. I want you to understand, there's been a war on worship from day one. Ezekiel chapter, you don't have to turn there, Ezekiel chapter 14, uh, 28 and Isaiah 14 talks about that God created uh, all of his angels and everything, and he had one angel that was his worship leader. Does anybody know his name? Lucifer. So Lucifer's job, the Bible says that he even had, he had musical instruments in his body. That he created music just out of his own body. And his whole role was to lead the rest of the angels in worship to the Lord. And the Bible says, if you go read in Isaiah chapter 14, that, that as the worship leader, he began to quickly say, I want to be praised. I want to be lifted up. I want to ascend to the... And you'll see this in Isaiah 14. Five times, Lucifer says, I will, I will, I want, I this. What is that called? Pride. Guess what? God don't like pride too much. And it wasn't even a fight. God saw it, and what did he do? He kicked him out, and he kicked him to earth. Many scholars believe that when the earth was dark and void, that was when Lucifer came to earth, and then God said, let there be light. And he made light, and here's the deal. Now, this is really the coolest part, and you've got to listen to all this. So remember, it's a war over worship. Lucifer wanted his own worship. I don't like giving worship to God. I want worship for myself. God says, no, I'm the only one who gets it. You're out. He kicks him out, and then what does God do? Because here's the deal. There's a void now. There's no worship leader. So what do we do? He makes you. He makes you. You are now God's worship leader. Because the Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That is why, listen to me, that is why Satan hates you so much. You took his job. And he hates you because now you are the one that was created for worship. You're the one who worships the Lord. You're the one who exalts the Lord. And you say, well, Pastor Josh, how do you know that? Revelation says, it is for God's pleasure that you were created. Worthy is the Lamb. That's why you can sing. That's why you have a voice. That's why you have percussions as hands. Because you also can lead worship. It's why you and I exist. And can I tell you this? Satan hates it. He hates it. This whole thing started with a battle over worship. And here's the thing. This whole thing will end with a battle over worship. Let me show you. You want to see? So the Bible talks that in the end days there's going to be a guy by the name of the Antichrist. This is Satan himself. And I want to show you something. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Are y'all with me? Everybody with me? Okay. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I know I'm teaching, but I'm going somewhere. I'll get my preach on in just a little bit. Um, so 2 Thessalonians, say, go white boy. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4 says this. Watch this. Now we're talking about the Antichrist and what he's going to do in future days. Now this is now we're talking about the end. We're talking about the end of what's coming. And I'm going to tell you, we're, we're actually living in them. And I'll... I'll prove it to you in the coming weeks. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4 says, Let no one deceive you in any way. All right, let's stop. Pause right there. Let no one deceive you in any way. 
Okay, so why would God feel the importance of putting let no one deceive you in any way in the Bible? Because we're deceived. And if you go, well, I'm not deceived, you're deceived. The people who know that, the people who think that they're not deceived are the ones who are deceived, and the people who know that they can be deceived aren't deceived. Okay, I just put the cookies on the bottom shelf for you. You can just have it right there. All right? Did you get that? The people who don't think they're deceived are deceived. Have you ever been around somebody who thinks they're something and you think that they're really not? Have you ever watched American Idol? Do we need to go there? Somebody should have told them the truth. Somebody. I'm telling them the truth. Simon, somebody. Somebody finally telling them the truth. The sad thing is they had to get broadcasted to 58 million people before somebody told you the truth. Like, you're terrible. You're terrible. So, anyways, I don't know where I went on that one, but don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. All right. Now watch what happens. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness, now this is talking about the Antichrist. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. That's his other name. I love that because he's not only the son of destruction of what he does for us, but he will be destroyed too. It says, for the son of destruction who opposes, now watch this, who opposes and exalts himself. You can't do this, you can do this. And against every so called God or object of worship so that, watch this, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This verse is talking about future events, that the abomination of desolation, that's another word for the Antichrist, that Satan himself, one day, listen, this will happen. One day, Satan, the Antichrist himself, will build a statue of himself, and he will put it in the temple of Jerusalem. When that day comes, lift up your eyes, because time is coming near. But it's coming. And this is what happens. When you see this happen, I'm telling you, we're getting close And Satan himself is going to do this because, remember, he hates you and he wants to be worshipped. And so I want you to look with me in Revelations chapter 13. Revelations chapter 13, verse 14 and 15. And I want to show you what happens. So Revelations 13, 14 and 15, it says this. And by the signs that that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives... There it is again. It deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it, allowed, it, it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not, watch this, who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. Everybody's facing this. To be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. So you go into Walmart and they blip, blip, or the hand or whatever. So that it is the name of the beast or the number of its name. I'm not trying to scare people in any regards. I don't want to scare you, but I want to prepare you. And if you don't think that this is going to happen, guess what? You're deceived. And as a pastor, I have a responsibility to prepare you for the days to come. And you have a responsibility now 
while these days are not here, to prepare yourself, to fortify yourself, to secure who you are in Christ. Because Satan is so motivated for your worship. It's the battle of it all. And this all begins over a war of worship. This all ends as a war of worship. And Daniel, remember, Daniel, half of the book of Daniel is practical, half of the book of Daniel is prophetic. Prophetic means of days to come. And Daniel is saying, these are the things that are going to come. And so I want to encourage you with some practical things here. So the spirit of of the Antichrist is motivated to do two things. This is what Satan wants to do. There's two things, okay? Now here you can take some notes. I know we've been reading a lot, but let's take some notes. First thing is this. He wants to exalt man over God. He wants to exalt man over God. Here's the thing about Satan. He just wants you to worship anything but God. He don't care what it is. He don't care what it is. That's why now we have in our culture what's called hedonism. Hedonism is this, and you may ascribe to it more than you even know. Hedonism is when you determine what is good based on your feelings. And so you'll hear things like this. How many hear things like this? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. This is, what, this is how it's supposed to be. Like, I, I feel like it's right. I feel like this is what I should be doing. I feel, and then people even throw God in there. Like, I feel God's telling me to do this. Well, here's the deal. Let me just set this straight. If, it, if what God tells you contradicts its word, it's not God. Amen. It's not God. It's real simple. We'll just lay it all out. We, I, I'm not judging you. This is. And so we take God's standard. Remember, as Christians, we have a different standard than people in this culture. People's culture, in the culture we live in right now, and hedonism, is if it feels good, I can do it because it just feels good like I can, you know, I can do whatever I want. Well, the problem with that is, is you, there's no standard to judge people because here's the deal. What if I'm mad at you and I just walk in your house and kill your mom? I felt like it. It felt good to me. What is it for you to say that that was wrong? If we leave a a, a hedonistic society where everybody can do whatever they want to do, what's to say what's right and wrong? Who says it? God does. God is the standard in which things are right and wrong. That's why you even have a conscience when you're doing something. Even when you're far from God, you feel deep inside, that's wrong. This is wrong. You know why? Because that's God. Even when you're far from him, he still speaks to us. So he wants to exalt man above God. And here's the deal. Since Satan's not going to get your worship, because most of y'all in here are not worshiping Satan, maybe some of you are. I'm glad you're here. He wants you to fall in love with other things. Now, here's where I'll step on some toes. Just different passions. Fall in love with sports. You never go to church because you're always at baseball games with your kids. Hunting, fishing, shopping, cars, money, success, work. You know how many people I see out and about and like, hey, where you been? I've just been working a lot. Man, you're missing out on so much. God wants to do so much in you, but because of work, which work is driven by money, which money is driven by selfish desires of possessions and things, buying things that we think satisfies us, but in the end is like drinking sand, Never satisfies. When is enough? When is enough enough? We, we consume our lives with things because here's the trick of the devil. 
He wants to get you off the point of worshiping God by worshiping other things. And so, <clears throat> this isn't popular preaching. I understand that. No, I, I understand that. You know, and, and people are like, man, I come to church and it's a lot different than I thought, you know. Well, if you think we're a feel-good church, then you came to the right one because I'm not feeling good today. We're going, we're going. Okay, let me give you Hobby Lobby. Let's just, let's just talk about something that currently happened. The government forced Hobby Lobby to sell drugs that could end a baby. Y'all, did y'all watch this? Played out in front of all of national media. And Hobby Lobby, what did, what did the owner of Hobby Lobby say? We're not doing that. I'll close all these doors before I give this pill away. And listen, we got what we wanted. We wanted abortion and we got it. Guess what? We got, got, God allows things sometimes to just pass because we just push for it so long and we got it. But I love it when we see man, men and women of God that stand up with their values and even if they have a multi, multi, multi-million dollar business, Chick-fil-A, let me just go down some list of men who have stood up to things and said, we're not gonna let you push us around. We will stand up. And if you know what happened with Hobby Lobby, the government backed down. They won. They said, okay, you don't have to. So listen, we're, we're, not, we're not here saying, yeah, great. And let, let me say this, because one of the things that the government said, well, we'll fine you millions of dollars every day. And they said, bring the fines on. Bring the fines on. We're just not doing it. But I love the thing about Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A. They did it with such grace and reverence and respect. See, because when you go against culture, you're not throwing darts back at people and going, yeah, I'm going to hell and I'm standing up and God's on my side. You know, all that kind of, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't even do it. They, they just stood up. See, because here's the deal. Sometimes making a difference is just standing up when everybody else bows down. It doesn't take you having to be like some lunatic that's making all this noise and stuff. Sometimes it's just doing what's right. And you stick out like a sore thumb. I tell guys all the time, just show up to work early, work hard, stay late, and serve hard, and you'll stick out like a sore thumb. Because everybody else wants to go cheat, go late, not work. Is it not true? I'm telling you, you will, you will rise up in an organization like that. That was free. You didn't have to pay for that. That was a free one. Okay? It's freebie. Whew. Let's go back to Daniel. And I want to show you. <clears throat> see if. See if I can find Daniel. Um, all right, there we go. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 6, and let me show you. Are you getting some out of this? I hope you are. <clears throat> Daniel, I'm going to get there. Okay, Daniel chapter 6, look in verse 10. Now watch this. Okay, so now this is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. Okay, so remember. They go and trick, they slide their way in. King Darius, you know, you need to sign this. And you know, everybody worship you, it's awesome. And King Darius like, oh yeah, that feels pretty good. Remember, he loves, Dan- he loves Daniel though. And so they trick him into it. King signs it. And so it says, when Daniel finds out that the king signed this, I want you to see what happens. This is so cool. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, he opened his windows in his upper chambers, open towards Jerusalem, and guess what he does? He gets down on his knees three times a day, and he prays, and he gives thanks, to, thanks before his God as he had done previously. 
Then these men came by agreement, found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, look, look, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The things stand fast according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. We know what continues to happen from there. Darius can't sleep at night. He is, he is heartbroken over what he just did because he realized Daniel's dying. He can't sleep at night. The guys take, Dar- uh, King, take Daniel. They throw him in the lion's den. King cannot sleep at night. He finally wakes up in the middle of the morning, runs to the lion's den and says, Daniel, are you there? Daniel says, yeah, I'm in here. I'm just petting the kitties. Just hanging out. They pull Daniel out. And Darius says, all you guys, you get in. And he throws in all of these guys who tried to take Daniel out, throws all them in, and they were no longer on Metaphast. They wanted a full buffet, and they went to town on all these guys. Killed them all. It's... um, It's an awesome story. It really is. I want you to look right now real quick, though, in Daniel chapter 3 now. Let's go to the other story. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. This will preach. I can preach this whole thing, but we're going to just take a part of it. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Now remember, you do this, you're getting in the furnace. O oh, oh, oh Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. <laughs> That's awesome. We don't, we don't need to defend ourselves. If this be so, I want you to watch this. This is a verse for some of you. If this be so, our God whom we serve is, is able to deliver us. He's able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And... He will deliver us. Some confidence there, huh? Out of your hand, O king. Now, verse 18 has been the the verse that I've clung to, though. But if he does not, if he doesn't, be it known, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Don't be deceived, y'all. Listen, you're going to be put to the test, and we need to find out what we're going to do about it. And I, Here's the deal. So the king throws them in. As they're throwing them in, all the men are dying. As the men that are throwing them in are dying, as they're trying to get these guys in, they get the guys in, and the guys are just waiting for this burning sensation, and there's no burning sensation. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of all this, another guy shows up. The Bible says it's the Son of Man, which we know, which is Jesus incarnate in the Old Testament. And Jesus shows up. And I wonder what that meeting was like. Have you ever thought about that? Like, let's get out of all the Sunday school stuff and, like, just think about it. Like, ah! <laughs> Y'all seen Torch on, uh, what is that, uh, Fantastic Four? It's on fire. This is, this is sweet. And then all of a sudden, they get a tap on the shoulder, like, oh, who are you? Who are you? What? It's Jesus. And who knows how long were they in there? 
Maybe it was a couple hours. I don't know. Maybe it was a couple minutes. I don't know. But I wonder what he said in that moment. I'm so proud of you. I want to think what he said. Thank you for honoring me. I love you. I'm so proud. The Bible says that they come out and they don't even smell like smoke. Don't even smell like smoke. Listen, this is a word for some of you. The furnace, which looked like the end of their lives, turned out to be the greatest thing they ever experienced. The furnace ended up being the place where they met Jesus. See, here's the deal. God decided to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, not from the furnace. Some of you are praying to get out of the furnace, and God's telling you, I'm in the furnace. I'm in it. If you're, if you're dealt, kids are gone. If you've had a hell of a day, or a week, or like us, two years, Jesus is there. He meets you in the furnace. Now, I'm going to say this. Listen, sometimes God delivers you from the furnace, but most of the time, God delivers you in the furnace, and you got to get in. And you got to stand there as, he, as, as the culture pushes you into this. And sometimes for you, you felt like you've been in the furnace because you've been in a job that doesn't honor God. Or maybe you have a husband that doesn't honor God. Or maybe you got kids that aren't honoring God. And everything feels like everything's coming down on you. And you feel like, God, where are you? And he's right there. If we would just turn and look to him, he's there in the midst, and I believe he's there to comfort and love and encourage you right there in the midst. The Bible says that, that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. You're riding your staff that comfort me. Guess what? That's in the valley, not in the mountaintops. But so much of our Christian lives, we love comfort. So we want everything to be comfortable, and when things don't get comfortable, we start praying and going, God, where are you? And he goes, I'm down here. You want to come down? He's in the midst of the furnace. Number two is this. Stop. This is what the spirit of the Antichrist wants to motivate to do. Exalt man above God. And then two, stop the worship of God. Ooh, I got to hurry. Stop the worship of God. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 6 and 10, when we saw that they, he told them, you're, you're going in the lion's den. That didn't happen. Now listen to this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood when everyone else would kneel. Daniel knelt when everybody else stood. See the difference here? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, go. We're standing. Everybody else is kneeling down to this. We're standing for purity. We're standing for righteousness. I don't know what you're standing for at your school or what you're standing for at your business. I'm standing for ethic, whatever it is. And then here we go. We have Daniel over here who kneels when everybody else stands to worship something else. All four of these men were out of step with the culture. All four of them were out of step with the world, but they were in step with God. And I don't know about you, but I would rather be in step with God than out of step and out of step with the world. And the ultimate battle in these last days is going to be over what you worship. Do you have the guts to love God and stand with courage when everything is against you? If we're going to give ourselves, I, I, you know, let's wrap, let's wrap this up with this. I feel like in talking about worship, we've got to figure out where's our heart, what's going on, what are we worshiping. So let's do a little test. Let's do a little worship checkup. The whole Bible, if you were to sum up 
what the whole Bible is about and what God wants us to do. It's in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And he says this, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, I want you to underline these. All your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Four things, heart, mind, soul, strength. Let's talk about the first one. What is heart and soul? Okay, what is heart and soul? It's your affections. So here's the test. This is a test that we've got to ask ourselves. Where are your emotions going? What do you love the most? What do you love the most? Where are your affections and, and, and the things that you are, you're constantly, you know, going up and down on in your emotions? What are those? And whatever that is, that's what you worship. Could be your children, could be your job, could be something else. And can I just share a pet peeve that I have real quick? One of the pet peeves that I have is I believe that the spirit of the Antichrist has tamed worship. And what I mean by that is we think that, 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 that holiness is reverence and awe, and there is those moments for those, and that, that it's just quiet and just kind of contemplative and not doing anything. And, and, and I'm talking about interactive worship with singing. I, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. The Bible says, clap your hands, shout to God. Lift your voices. And because I'm going to tell you right now, if you watched LSU last night, I guarantee you weren't. I know I'm stepping on some toes here, but listen, I I pray that we don't give LSU more of our praise than God. And we come into church and go, they're crazy. And then we watch you at an LSU game and go, you're crazy. You're crazy. That is worship. That's giving our affections. That's giving our time. That's giving our energy. And God wants you to find pleasure in those things. Listen, ain't nothing wrong with shouting and jumping up for LSU. Let's just not do it more for them than Jesus. Let's not get more excited for other things than we do for Jesus. Think about it from God's perspective. He wants you to love him with heart and soul. That's why our worship is shouting times and clapping and I I might be the craziest one in here but I'm going to set the stage because he deserves all the praise and he set you free. Why are you not excited? Yeah, maybe life's hard. Who cares? Jesus is with you and if you read the end of the book, we win. So, anyways. All right, so heart and soul. Second is your mind. That's your attention. What do you think about the most? What you think about the most is what you worship the most. That is why we have a God who warns us not to be deceived. We're so quickly, our minds go to things other than the Lord. The third thing, your strength. What is that? That's your abilities. What do you do the most? What are you doing for God? Remember, that comes out of a love for God, not a fear. We don't do things because we're afraid of God. We do things because we love God. I love all the people who serve in this church. Hopefully it's out of a place of, man, God's just done so much for you. You just want to serve people, love people, love God. It's not like you're afraid, like, if I don't do this, God's not going to bless me. That's, That's hogwash. You should love God, and out of that, you should want to serve him. The greatest battle in the last days is going to be over what you worship. You don't need to tell me anything about your life because your time, your affections, your attention, your abilities will show what you worship. 
And I'm saying that for myself, man. I'm just going through all this, and God just convicted me. And I can tell you right now, the Holy Spirit right now is convicting many of you in regards to what you worshiped. Because for so much, you've actually worshiped yourself more than God. And you think that coming to church for a couple hours on Sunday makes everything right. But God doesn't want two hours. He wants all of you. He wants everything you got. And every one of us, here's the deal, listen. Every one of us is a worshiper. You go, I don't worship. Yes, you do. Just what do you worship? But everybody worships. Maybe, you know, for you, God is included in your life, but the problem is he doesn't want to just be included in your life. He wants the best of your life. He wants the best. Let me wrap it up with this. This is culture's greatest test. There's coming a day, and I believe it's even now, where these are the tests that culture is going to have you, it's going to, really is going to ask you, and here's the two, two, two culture tests that you're going to get. Who you will not worship. What are you going to do when the day comes? You know, we all pray, God, bring the rapture. <laughs> I don't want to be here when tribulation comes, but what if? Will you stand? Will you have courage in those days? Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen, God, oh, this is great, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's looking for worshipers, people. Who will you not worship? And then the second one is who will, who you will worship. I've made a decision that for me and my house and my three boys and my wife, we will serve the Lord. We will make a commitment to the Lord. And I'll end with this. All of hell fears a man or woman who prays. All of hell fears a man or woman who prays and stands up for their convictions. And I pray that that would be us. Would you bow your head in this place? God, I pray in the midst of what's going on right now that you would give courage to those that are here, that they would stand for you in the middle of whatever they face, regardless of how culture goes. God, we make a stand today that we're not going to bow to anyone but you. God, I pray that you would strengthen every person in their resolve to worship you. God, we're committing to give you the best of our affections, God, the best of our attention, the best of our abilities.